Good morning. Welcome to Okotoks Calvary Fellowship. Thank you for joining us as we study through God's Word. Okay. Well, one of the things that I really like about Calvary Chapel is that We teach God's Word faithfully, line by line, verse by verse, and we just pick up where we left off. But in many ways, as we come to Mark chapter 10 this morning, I have mixed emotions. On one hand, I approach it with a great deal of fear and trembling, But on the other hand, I have a great uh, anticipation of what God wants to say here to us. So over the next two weeks, we're going to cover the controversial areas of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. But before we begin this morning, I just want to ask you by way of a show of hands... How many of you have experienced divorce divorce either directly in your own life, in the life of a family member, or in the life of a friend or acquaintance? Pretty well everybody, right? Every single one of us has been touched by divorce in some way or other. And there are so many questions that we have regarding divorce, and yet it seems as though everyone has an opinion on it. And my friends, this was a very controversial topic in Jesus' day, as we will soon see. Just as it has become a controversial topic today, especially amongst believers. And what people want to know is, is, Does the Bible say that a Christian can be divorced? And if a Christian is divorced, can they remarry? And are there legitimate biblical grounds for divorce? And if so, what are they? And for us to answer these questions, we really need to look into the Word of God because neither my opinion nor yours really matters in comparison, right? Now, please understand This topic is far too big for us to cover in merely one message. It's far too big, really, for us to cover into two messages. (laughs) But today, I'm going to focus on what this passage says to us about marriage. Next Sunday, we will focus on what this passage says about divorce and remarriage. But it's important for us to understand the Bible does speak with marriage clarity on this. So let's dive in and see what the Lord has for us this morning. Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. And multitudes gathered to him again. And as he was accustomed, he taught them again. The Pharisees came and asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? testing him now before we move on here it's important for us to get a little bit of context to this question 
Because in Jesus' day, there were two main groups of prominent rabbis that went around with two very different teachings on divorce. You had Rabbi Bet Hillel, and you had Rabbi Bet Shemai. And Rabbi Hillel's view on divorce was basically that you could divorce somebody for just about any reason. He might be today's equivalent of what we might term no-fault divorce. You don't want to be married to your wife anymore? Just divorce her. Well, Rabbi Shammai had quite a different idea on divorce. He believed the scriptures were very narrow on the subject, and he said you can only righteously divorce your spouse because of sexual immorality. And Matthew records this same incident here, but he brings out the question just a little bit clearer because he adds a little phrase. Matthew 19, verse 3 says, The Pharisees asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? That's the real issue here. Not just, is it lawful, but, what are the reasons in which it can be lawful? And really, the debate centered around the Mosaic Law. And in the Law of Moses, specifically Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, God gave permission for divorce. Let me read that for you. Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. So very plainly, this verse says that Moses gave them permission for divorce if the husband finds some uncleanness in his wife. And the whole debate here among the rabbis centered around this one singular word, uncleanness. Now, as I mentioned a few moments ago, Rabbi Shammai understood that unclean meant sexual immorality. And that is why he said, no, the only reason there can be a divorce among the people of God is if that marriage bond has been broken by sexual immorality. However, Rabbi Hillel and his followers understood uncleanness to mean any sort of indiscretion, anything that the husband found objectionable in his wife was grounds for divorce. Let me give you some specific examples. You're going to love this. If the wife messed up a meal, he could divorce her. If he messed up her coffee, his coffee in the morning, that was definitely grounds for divorce. Boo, I know. <laughs> but if the wife wo spoke with a strange man in the street, he could divorce her. If the wife criticized the husband's family in any way, he could divorce her. And if the wife was a brawling woman, he could divorce her. And you're going to love the definition of a brawling woman. Are you ready? A brawling woman was a woman 
whose voice could be heard in the house next over. But there was even one rabbi who went as far as to say that unclean was if a man found another woman who in his eyes was prettier than his own wife. Well, then he could divorce his wife for that. And those are some of the rather contradictory assertions of what unclean is, right? And so the Pharisees are hoping to throw Jesus on the horns of a dilemma here. Jesus, you're going to alienate half your audience no matter what side you land on. Well, I just love Jesus' response to this weak attempt at entrapment. Look at verse 3. And he answered and he said to them, what did Moses command you? And so Jesus is saying, I don't want to discuss opinions. What does the Bible say? Let's get back to the Bible. Let's see what the Bible says about this subject. And then he asks them, what did Moses command you? You've got to understand, these Pharisees were experts in the law of Moses. They prided themselves in their knowledge of the law. So when they get posed a question like that, well, they're quick to respond, right? Well, look at what verse 4 says. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. Did you notice what just happened there? They just answered their own question. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce. But I want you to understand that their own answer right there contradicts the entire teaching of what Rabbi Hillel and his very loose understanding of what divorce and marriage was all about. You see, there was another thing that Rabbi Hillel taught. He taught that not only did a man have many excuses by which he could divorce his wife, but he also said if a man had a bad wife, it was his righteous duty to divorce her. They took this permission for it and they turned it into a command and friends nowhere in the bible does god command divorce let me say that again there is nowhere in scripture where god commands divorce there are places he gives permission for it but nowhere does he command it and I would hope that even as these Pharisees heard these words coming out of their own mouths, would have gone, hmm, Moses permitted a man to divorce, but permission is not the same as a command. And you'd think that they would have and should have understood this, right? Well, let's look at verse 5 as Jesus continues to explain. It says, and Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. In other words, that's the reason why God even permitted divorce 
to begin with. It was only because of the hardness of heart of human beings. And right now you might be asking in your mind, well, whose hardness are we talking about? Well, there's only two options here, right? It could be the hardness of heart of the offending party. The person who committed sexual immorality. And you'd have to have a hard heart to violate the marriage covenant in that way. And because of that hardness of the heart, God says, I'll give you permission to divorce. But my friends, I don't think the only hardness of heart involved here is just that. Because there's also the hardness of heart of the offended party. The person who says, I cannot forgive. I will not forgive. I will never be able to forget what they did to me. I choose not to forgive them because my heart is so hardened towards them. And because of that, I'm going to get a divorce. So sometimes it is the hardness of heart of the offending party. Sometimes it's the hardness of heart of the offended party. But most often it's the hardness of heart of both of, their, uh, of both of their hearts. And this is why God permitted it. But understand, this was not his intention. Well, let's start again here in verse 5. And Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you, this precept but from the beginning of creation god made them male and female for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so then they are no longer two but one flesh therefore what god has joined together let not man separate Can't you just see there, as Jesus, God in the flesh, cries out to them, look, you guys want to talk about divorce. I want to talk to you about marriage. I want to talk to you about how permanent I want marriage and that marriage bond to be. You see, Jesus transitions the conversation from divorce to marriage. And that's something we need to understand. is You cannot talk about divorce if you don't understand what marriage is to begin with. And the problem here wasn't that these Pharisees did not understand the law about divorce. The problem was that they didn't have a biblical understanding of what marriage was all about. And don't you find that true in the church today? And look, I have to say, by and large, the Christian church today does not have a biblical understanding of what marriage is about. And my friends, it is absolutely essential that people keep a focus on what the Bible says about marriage what marriage is all about and what the bible says are the important principles and the foundational ideas behind a christian marriage look how jesus explains it in verse six he says but from the beginning of creation 
Stop there. Friends, I wonder how many people today would accept that from Jesus. Oh, Jesus. That's just so old-fashioned. Get with the times. The world has changed. Give us something new. Give us something cutting-edged. The rules are different today. We have more problems and stresses in our modern lives. So we need a modern solution. Give us something brand new. Well, Jesus says to them, let me teach you about marriage. Let's go back in time. Let's go all the way back to the very beginning. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Let's lay out the foundations of the biblical principles for marriage. And verse 6 says, But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. <clears throat> that means they're different. Different so that they can be combined together as a whole. Let's get the idea here. Two different entities, if you will. Male and female. Just two. <laughs> and God wants to bring them together in a strong, vital unity. Not a man's sphere and a woman's sphere, but rather seeing them as both hemispheres and they're brought together as one whole sphere. God made them male and female, and then he brought them together. So we see here that God's real purpose for marriage is never fulfilled in divorce, but is only fulfilled and seen in God's original plan for marriage. God made them. God is reminding us that he created marriage. God is reminding us that he owns marriage. And let's always remember that this is God's institution, and he's letting us borrow it. Look, let's be honest here for a moment. We didn't make this marriage thing up. Do you honestly think that we would have done it this way if we were left to our own sinful inclinations? No way. And friends, that's why we see such a radical departure in these days from the biblical idea of marriage. It butts up against the philosophy of this world. The Bible clearly teaches that God made them male and female. It's the devil who twisted and distorted this whole idea of marriage and of gender. And sadly, many Christians have fallen prey to this dangerous ideology. But God says, I own marriage. It's my institution. And if you follow my rules, you're going to be blessed. Well, let's look at this overwhelming idea here of God's ethic of marriage. Verse 7. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So friends, in these verses, you have this repeated idea, this idea of unity, this idea of oneness, this idea of coming together. And God's plan for marriage is not two different camps that just have good relations with each other. 
We're not talking about like two countries that have a good diplomatic core between them and, and they know how to communicate effectively and, and they know how to get along well. No. What it is telling us is that we are not two countries anymore. We're one country. We're joined together. But I want you to notice something here regarding this whole idea of being joined. And this is one of the things I love about looking at these passages in the original Greek language. Because in English, we use the word joined in both verses 7 and 9. But in the original Greek, they both carry very different meanings and applications. Let's look at it. Verse 7, he uses the phrase joined to his wife. And this carries with it the idea of gluing something together. Have you guys ever seen that commercial on TV for Gorilla Glue? It comes on, it comes on all the time. Well, they say that when you use this glue, it causes a bond that's so tight that if you were try to break the bond, you'd end up breaking the two things that were actually bonded together. before you'd ever end up breaking the bond. And friends, that's how God wants the bond to be between a husband and a wife. But then Jesus uses a very different idea to describe being joined together in verse 9. It says, therefore what God has joined together. And here Jesus is literally using the idea of being yoked together. And it paints the picture of being yoked like two oxen to do work together. And now I know that all the wives are saying, I just knew the Bible said my husband was a dumb ox. But seriously, you see how it is, right? You take two oxen and you put that yoke between them and then you tell them to go out and do some work. But if these oxen are not of the same mind, if they're not of the same heart, then nothing is going to get done. But if they're joined together in the way that God wants them to be joined, they'll need to work together. They need to head in the same direction and pull together. And when they do, the results will be both powerful and strong, and that is how God wants this unity to be. But there's something about this unity here in verse 7 that I want you to notice. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. So you need to understand, this new unity is so overriding that the bond between husband and wife should be even stronger than the bond between parent and child. Think about that for a second. That's a staggering statement. Because parents, you know how deeply you are attached to your children. And because children, you know the depth of love that you have with your parents. But God says so very clearly here, the bond between husband and wife is even more important. And so Jesus says a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. So then the marriage bond should be even stronger than the blood bond. 
So to you guys who are mama's boys, and you girls who are daddy's girls, there is nothing wrong with having that special bond with your parents. But friends, when that bond takes precedence over your spouse, then there is a big problem. So one last thing I want you to notice here in verse 9 before we move on. I want you to notice who joined them together. It was God himself. And what Jesus wanted these Pharisees to know is that in a marriage relationship, God sees that relationship as spiritually binding. It's not just a social contract. God has joined them together and God wants to keep them together and not merely in a toleration of each other. And, from, and, and friends, no matter what state you may find your marriage in, God wants to take your relationship and he wants it to be found a, founded on the bedrock principles found in his word. And he wants you to begin drawing together in this union and to start weeding out in your relationship what battles against it. I'm not saying any of this for someone who may have been through a divorce or maybe is struggling. This is not about a condemnation or saying things that, you know, I did wrong in the past. We learn from those things, and God uses those things. But we need to understand this very plainly. The unity is a foundation of marriage. This unity has been the theme repeated over and over here by Jesus himself. This unity is God's gift in marriage. And this unity needs to be pursued. This reliable friendship, this partnership, this oneness between a husband and a wife. And in order for us to be successful with this pursuit of unity in our married lives, we must always act in a way that is consistent with the nature and with the purpose of marriage as God created it. So how do we do it? Well, I want to suggest to you two great principles that are found in almost every passage in the Bible where it talks about what a Christian marriage should be like. And the first principle should really be addressed to the husbands. And if you're not a husband here yet, you may be at some point in time, so you still need to learn this. But the first principle is, men, you must honor the fundamental unity of the marriage relationship. And that's the great temptation for us as husbands, isn't it? To see ourselves as one flesh. And then to see our wives as one flesh. And we don't often perceive that real unity, that real oneness. We don't, need, we don't perceive that need to say, this woman is me. We're one. God put me here to care 
for her. God put me here to nurture her. God put me here to bless her. And when I bless her, when I am a blessing to her, then I am a blessing to myself. Why? Because we are one. And husbands, let me tell you something. If you do that, God will bring such a blessing into your life when you honor the fundamental unity of the marriage relationship. But here's another principle in marriage, and this one is up to the wives. Not only is there unity in marriage, but, uh, and, and that needs to be honored. And I know that some people don't necessarily like it when I say that. But not only is there unity in the marriage relationship that must be honored, but you must honor the fundamental order of the marriage relationship. And again, like I said, that's one that gets some people's backs up. But God has said that the husband is the head of that home. And he needs to be respected and honored as the head of that home. And wives, that's a very important call for you to say, yes, there is unity. God has made us one flesh. But the unity is not really two equal partners. Uh, hear what I'm saying. Yes, they're equal in nature. They're equal in purpose. But God said one of them is going to be in charge. One of them is going to be responsible. There's a headship here, and there's this fundamental order in that unity, and that order must be respected. But I don't, I want you to hear this. I don't believe that there is a seriously troubled marriage on the face of the earth where the husband is doing his job and he's honoring that fundamental unity in the marriage relationship where he's respecting his wife, he's caring for his wife, he's nurturing for his, you know, his wife, he's thinking about her needs before his own. And when then where the wife is honoring her part in the fundamental order of that unity. Because if the husband does what he should do, if the wife does what she should do, there isn't going to be a problem in that area. Of course, there's going to be difficulties and trials. We're not living in a fantasy land. But the power and the goodness of God will be there to overcome it. Look, we all know Satan is working overtime on families and marriages, and he wants to tempt the husbands in their own sinful desires, where the husband wants order without unity. Where they're the boss. They're the heads of the household. But they don't respect the unity of that marriage relationship. But let's admit, there's a great temptation for the wives too. You want the unity, but not the order. You want the unity to say that we come together. That we come together as equal partners. We just make decisions together and nobody's really in charge of anything else. You know, I heard this funny story, emphasis on that. 
about an older couple. And they had decided early on in their marriage that the man would be responsible for all the big decisions. And the woman should be responsible for all the little decisions. The funny thing was that in 50 years of marriage, not one big thing ever came up in the relationship. It was just little things. And that's just how it seems to work, right? But you get the idea here, don't you folks? God has established this wonderful blessing of unity in the marriage relationship, and God has put order inside of that unity. And so this morning, I want to help each one of you avoid a great temptation. And here's that great temptation. Do not pray for your spouse today after today's message. I don't want you to pray one single prayer for your spouse today. Pray for your spouse tomorrow. Don't pray, oh Lord, <clears throat> help my wife to hear what the Bible says here. Don't pray, oh, Lord, help my husband get that through his thick skull. <laughs> no, please don't do that this morning. Make your prayer, God, help me. I need your help, Lord God. I need you to touch my mind. I need you to transform my thinking. Husbands, you need to come before God with all sincerity of heart. Father, impress on my mind and in my actions how I can honor that fundamental unity of the marriage relationship. Help me to bless, love, care, and nurture my wife. And wives, you need to make your consecrated prayer before God. Lord, show me how I can honor the order that you have put in the unity of the marriage relationship help me to bless love honor and respect my husband friends god wants your marriage to be a tremendous blessing in your life he loves you and he wants your marriage to bless you not to seem like a curse so let's follow his instructions and you know what he will transform it. And it may not happen overnight, but he will begin that transforming work in you and in me. Well, let's pray and ask him to do that this morning. Father, you know, I struggle with that. I'm pretty sure every single one of the husbands in this room can answer effectively, you know what, I struggle with that too. Lord, I ask you to help me to be a better husband. Help me to honor my wife as you've called me to honor her in that fundamental unity of the marriage relationship.
And Lord, I pray for each one of my brothers and sisters here, married or otherwise, wherever they've been within the circumstances of their lives. They may have been divorced. Lord, you know all those things. It's not a surprise to you. And you don't waste anything, including those experiences we've been through. You use them all to mold us and to shape us more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. But I pray for marriages, Lord. The enemy is just attacking them, looking for ways to just create a sense of division, and there is such an attack, Lord. But you've insulated that in a way where you've given us each roles and responsibilities within our marriage that will strengthen that bond. And what you've joined together, men cannot separate. God, help us to look to you, to your word, to your principles as the foundation for what we build upon. So Lord, I thank you for each one that's here, Lord, and I just pray your Holy Spirit will be at work will change us the way that we need to be changed this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening. If you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to message us on our Facebook page or on Instagram. God bless.